0: We've got a lot of high performance stuff going on this week, and we're starting with the People's Supercar before we move on to Julia, Alpha's super new car. Then it's McLaren and Eden Green, plus the innocuous Toyota Prius C. But we start the week as usual with the headlines from around our auto world. to the USA first, where the monthly sales results are just in and the picture is gloomy, to say the least. Despite strong truck sales and small increases for most brands, the car market is in continuing decline and it's easier to list the few exceptions than it is to recite the litany of losses. And those exceptions include Subaru. Rejoicing in another increase, 64 months of an upward trend is quite a success story when all around are seeing falls, but if you want to talk about bucking the trends, there's always Volkswagen, Audi, up almost 5% despite the dieselgate dramas of the recent past. That's month 75 of rising sales for Audi in the USA while FCA struggles and even Jeep is sliding after seven months on the downside of the curve but there are worse numbers to think about with the year down 1.6 percent in the first quarter the seasonal adjusted selling rate predicts a market of 16.2 million cars this year well down on last year's record number of 17.5 million Rising interest rates are partly to blame. The average on a car loan is now just over 5%, the highest it's been for seven years, and the consequent falling demand provoked ever larger incentives. March was the ninth consecutive month that manufacturer discounts averaged 10% of a new car sticker price. And it's not likely to stop here. The industry has capacity for almost 20 million cars a year and is likely to put more cash incentives on the herd to keep moving the metal, as the industry seems doomed to repeat its boom-to-bust cycle in pursuit of ever greater volumes. But when J.D. Power says the average number of days a new car stays unsold has reached 70, the highest it's been since the height of the recession in 2009, dealers and manufacturers are both looking for ways to get buyers to sign up for a sale, hence the higher discounts. And there's a knock-on effect in all of this for consumers further down the line in the shape of falling second-hand prices. Morgan Stanley predicts a drop of between 25 and 50 percent over the next two years. And that is not going to be pretty to watch. And now, this. After appointing a climate change denier to head up the EPA, the Trump administration is proposing to cut the organization's budget by 30 percent. That includes slashing almost 90% from the department, which monitors car emissions and mileages, meaning a loss of more than half its staff. The people who discovered an unmasked Volkswagen's cheating software. The head of the EPA's Office of Transportation and Air Quality under President Obama said this would pretty much mean shutting the lab down completely. We've heard it spoken of just lately as the people's supercar, and you might think that that's a contradiction in terms, given that a supercar is beyond the means of most ordinary people by definition of price and performance. But the term has only recently been deemed to mean a high-performance GT or sports car, and prior to that, Americans used it to describe an assortment of race-bred cars which had better performance than your average saloon at the time. And that was getting a lot closer to the original terminology. First used in the UK in the 1920s to describe a Bentley, it was meant in its literal, almost Latin-derived sense, being a car that was superior to all others. And clearly, the focus isn't that, RS or otherwise. But in among the rank and file of everyday drivers, you could make a reasonably cogent argument for that being the case, and you could likewise make another one for it being the high-performance touring car, which a lot of people could stretch to, were they so inclined. And Ford, has upped the game with this one as well. New, model-specific shell, some suspension stuff so clever that we won't confuse you with explanations, and some four-wheel-drive trickery so clever Ford probably didn't think it was worth explaining it all to us. And all of this is aimed at getting 345 horsepower on the road as smoothly as possible, and then with an assortment of electronic options, drive it pretty much how you like it. Sideways, for example, tail happy, you can have that as well. It reminds us of a WRC car snapping out of corners. They're quite super, are they not? Everyone who drives it says the Julia is already a classic and definitely the Alpha we've all been waiting for. But have we been waiting so long for Alpha to deliver on all those promises of renewed glory, that it's finally too long? Will FCA run out of time before we run out of patience? Making cloverleaf versions available to selected journalists ahead of the main production run may have raised a few cynical eyebrows here and there, but it turns out to have been a smart move. For the most part, those journalists weren't just impressed, they were wowed because the 500 horsepower saloon looks as good as an Alpha ought to look, and better still, it drives just like every Alpha you ever dreamed of ought to drive. On the other hand, not everyone can drive it like it should be driven. It has four modes of daring, the last one a full-blooded race mode that sets it drifting at the whim of anyone with an audacious right foot and a precise grip on the wheel. Heavy right foot and near enough is good enough steering are a combination that shouldn't really be allowed to select R at all. But before you get to that point, you should be able to access the 505 horsepower, more than the M3 or C63 AMG, and shoot off to 60 miles an hour in 3.6 seconds, also a class leading figure. Given an empty autobahn, Alpha says it'll do 190 miles an hour. We doubt many owners will be troubling that region at the Speedo more than once in a lifetime but anyone will tell you that the ability to accelerate out of danger is an essential safety feature whose value should never be overlooked. Once again, that's not something you'll need more than once in a lifetime, but arguably it will be worth it if it does in fact extend that lifetime by a useful margin. But the more likely scenario is that trying to drive like this in public will kill you far sooner than waiting for that empty autobahn, even if you spend a lot of time at track days practicing your technique. So, what's it all about then? The Cloverleaf Julia. Given that most of us will seldom ever see one, never mind drive it or own it, you know the answer. It's a halo car for image wrangling purposes, a topic we've often touched on before, mostly because it's so vital to the business of selling cars, because it's fundamental to buying them. Most of us buy cars because we like the look and the feel and the sound of them. And if we can't have the 28,000 pound street fighter of our dreams, we'll have its cheaper and more restrained stablemate, on the grounds that it looks similar, drives similar, goes quite well, and generally makes us feel nearly as good at the wheel as if we bought the real thing. That's the theory anyway, and it pretty much works pretty much most of the time. In order to reach that goal, Alpha has to build the cooking, Julia, in large numbers so people are able to buy it, and then, and this is the real key, It has to hold together like a 3 Series or a C-Class and still be rock solid after years of use and abuse. Want to know what Alpha is up against here? Go and drive a five-year-old 3 Series with 50,000 miles on it, and then do it again with a 10-year-old that's done 100,000 hard miles. And see if you can spot the difference. A month ago, it was on stage in Geneva, and now it's in production with the first cars already completed and waiting for customers with 208,000 pounds to spend on the first new model in the P14 family. And if that sounds like a lot of spondulics for a sports car, bear in mind it could easily be more The long tail aero version that was also on show but not yet scheduled for build, would set you back about 275 grand. And if you went loopy with the options, you could easily be somewhere to the north of 300 grand before you started getting really picky about paint colors. The launch edition, limited to a mere 400 units, has already sold out. But I think what's most striking about this car when you when you look at it is the, is the whole external design, the whole aero treatment. It's it's hugely advanced from an aerodynamic point of view. We've got active aero at the front and the rear of the car. We've got these quite complex, what look like headlamp uh, apertures, but in fact they're air intakes con- cooling the low-temperature uh, cooling zone of, of the car. We've got the active aero feature at the back. We've got, instead of the conventional mid-engine air intake, We actually ducked the air down the inside of the door to cool this 720 PS engine. So it's very, very advanced aerodynamically. more than 50% more downforce than the predecessor. So far at least, the McLaren road car division is a success story. 10,000 cars sold in six years is not bad going. The ambition is for slightly more, a cap of 4,500 in fact. And this should help because it's one good-looking piece of kit, less angular and dramatic than a Lambo, not quite as gorgeous as a Rari, and certainly not as functional as an R8 or 911. And it's got a bit more than 700 horsepower. Maybe they should put that in the F1 car and see how they get on like that. Well, at least it looks like a car and not a boat. Can't remember how long ago it was when we stood beside Fabrizio Giugiaro in Geneva looking at the original Prius and ventured our opinion that it was a shame that it and its emulators all felt the need to announce their hybridness by appalling looks. Without being model specific, he said that underlining or even announcing the new technology through exterior design was an important thing to do at the time but that in future it wouldn't be necessary and it isn't Prius C looks just like a car doesn't it and now it's smaller it can be priced more closely to a non-hybrid so we are told and without debating the validity of that let's consider the rest of the picture European reviewers seem quite pleased with its size and abilities, and given the nature of their surroundings, that's maybe no surprise. American reviewers can be quite scathing about the fact that it's quite simply less car, partly because of their surroundings, but also because it's based on Yaris underpinnings. It's not been as popular over there. Inside, it's a bit plasticky, especially when you think it's all but 25 grand. But it is, of course, all very Toyota-ish, with the trademark hooded instrument cluster and digital speedo. But the rest, not bad at all, is it? There's lots of info in the digits, but if mobile phone use is illegal, then you really should be penalised for looking too closely at this as well, because who's got the time to spend precious seconds finding out what your eco score is at any given moment on the road? Whatever. But the whole point of this car is to bring hybridization a little bit further down the price spectrum, which is itself another step on the road towards a future in which all car makers will have to have a hybrid offering in every model range in order to meet the requirements of government legislation, and to a much lesser extent, customer demand. which brings us directly to the most contentious issue surrounding this car and hybrids of all kinds. Sales of cars are driven by price and subsequent cost of ownership. Anyone, in any doubt of that, need only look at the US market, where its size makes trends more visible, even if some of them are US-specific. Well, in general, if you want to sell more cars, give discounts. Or you could look at Kia. Want to sell more cars? Give massively long warranties so that future running costs are minimal. Hybrids cost more to make than other cars, and that means the biggest customer base is usually among the early adopters or evangelical Greenpeace members. They used to get financial incentives from the UK government, but those are being withdrawn as we speak. Because hybrids, are no big deal anymore. But in the light of the recent government discovery, as in they only found out last week, even though the rest of us knew years ago, that diesel exhausts can kill, hybrids could start to look like an attractive alternative again, especially to politicians, who are mostly only interested in short-term gains in personal popularity. But all hybrids need batteries of one kind or another, and they all have to be disposed of at the end of their life, and that's just pollution of a different kind, even if you personally don't see it or have to pay for it up front. But there is a cost, and we are all paying it one way or another. Yep, the ship is sinking, but the orchestra's still playing. The obvious thing would be to stop shifting the deck chairs and send all hands to plug the leak by finding a real viable alternative to combustion in all its forms before it really is too late. But that would require common sense at government level. An oxymoron if ever there was one. Felix Eaton, semi-eponymous founder of Eden Green, says when he saw the 1930s Alfa Romeo 8C for the first time, he immediately wanted one, like we all did. And when he discovered how rare and expensive they were, he decided to design and build something modern that would evoke similar emotions, like we all don't. The Alfa is a convertible, though, and Felix wanted a coupe for all kinds of practical and aesthetic reasons, and so this is the shape he ended up with. It is, to our eyes anyway, far more reminiscent of a Bugatti design. Type 57, anyone? And he'll own up to that quite happily, it seems. This may be nostalgia, this may be evocative, But it's not meant to be a replica of anything, but an original and standalone design. That said, it rides an existing and anonymous platform holding up a V12 petrol engine. And the body as you see it is carbon fiber. Production models would be aluminum if there are any. Lots of expertise from Coventry has been called on to make this happen. That city is still a hotspot for the vehicle and coach building industries, as well as manufacturing in general. The fact that this car is named after a range of mountains on the Isle of Skye doesn't seem to have any relevance at all to the vehicle itself. At first sight this too looks as close to the original as you want it to be, but of course it can't be, thanks mostly to safety legislation. Anyway, who really wants a lightweight rocket ship with flames crackling out the exhaust on the overrun? Yep, we all do, don't we? But uh, sadly more people need something like this, so there's a lot more of them. BW's splendid Touareg always lost out to the X5 in our private domestic SUV league tables, while its Porsche stablemate was always too expensive. But maybe the years have changed our minds. And now Infiniti's Q-ships are going head-to-head with a lot of German initials, but although their three series rival is high on visual impact, we wonder if it's as well matched in the driving department.